Should we introduce ourselves again this time? Yeah. Hey, Brad. Hey, Brad. Yeah. Welcome to the Humanist Agenda podcast. Humanism is doing good without God, and our agenda is to educate ourselves to become better humans. So my name is Sherry. My name is Selena. My name is Kenny. My name is Brad. And my name is Will. And we are here to talk to you today about patriotism. So we just had a lecture from Dr. Charles Jones, and he talked to us about what patriotism was, and if patriotism is moral or immoral, and he approached it from a more political background. So, so let's get started with talking about what our thoughts were about the lecture. Uh, personally, I, I really liked uh, kind of the, the way that he systematically went through the topic, because I do think it's, there's a lot of potential confusion surrounding the topic, and he, I think he clarified that well by saying... Oftentimes, people will talk past each other because of a lack of clarity of definitions on, on topics. So they might make a point using a word that gets mis misinterpreted, and then you can spend the next hour talking past each other. So I think it was really important the way that he structured the, the lecture to go through uh, all of the different interpretations of patriotism, um, you know, and its differences with nationalism and, and, and you know, what that means and, and how there isn't really just a straightforward answer of is patriotism, blanket patriotism, good or bad. It really it, it comes down to the details of what you mean by patriotism. So does anyone want to comment about what, uh, what, what the different details are or what different concepts? Like, let's start with this. What is, what is each of your individual conceptions of patriotism? For me, patriotism is, I guess it's more about finding what is good about your country. I don't think it's necessarily... Like putting your country on a pedestal, I think that's more about the nationalism is like a superiority mm -hmm. aspect of it. Whereas patriotism is, you know, as a Canadian, I know I'm proud that uh, our prime minister uh, is, you know, a big supporter of the LGBTQ community. Like, there's a lot of things that I'm, you know, that's fills you with a little bit of sense of pride to be Canadian. But then, you know, we have a history that's not without its faults, right? So I mean, there's definitely you need to leave room for you to have to an honest critique of yourself as well, right? As, as you would anything else. So you have to be able to criticize yourself and also appreciate like what it is that you are getting right. Mm -hmm. So for me to be patriot is to say, you know, what to acknowledge what you're doing right, but also even maybe more importantly to acknowledge what's not right and to be vocal about that. And yeah. There was a change? really good quote that was brought up uh, in the lecture by uh, James Baldwin. I love America more than any other country in the world, and exactly for that reason, I insist on the right to criticize her perpetually. So, uh, yeah, I, I think really, the for me, you know, the love of my country gives the reason why I love Canada, for example, is because we have the freedom to criticize, to make mm. changes, and to acknowledge our faults, and and really having the opportunity to debate tough issues, criticize the government without fear of imprisonment. And I think these are qualities that I'm proud of uh, for Canada. And I think patriotism in other countries may lie in other areas. But for, for me, patriotism is really love a country, but also the being proud of the good qualities, as you mentioned. Do you think that you would still love the country, love Canada, if it didn't have uh, you know, let's say if you made a list of, of, of things you like about Canada, 
you were to remove 90% of those things or even 100% of those things, do you think that you would still love Canada? Would you still feel patriotic toward Canada without those good things? Or is it dependent on there being good things to be patriotic about? I think it, well, for me, it depends on the good things coming. So I was born in Malaysia, for example, and in Malaysia, your certain rights are not common. And for example, LGBT rights is non-existent there. And I, at least in conversations with other people in those countries, while they enjoy some of the good qualities, they aspire to change their country into a country that's a little more accepting. And Mm -hmm. the overall trend of things tend to kind of gravitate towards more equality. And I think people, while they may love their country and they still aspire uh, to be like other countries that are more free and open. I think people view places like Canada as something that they really aspire to. Mm-hmm. That's just from my own personal experience. I'm sure I'm sure other people in those countries they maybe if they were a little bit more um, I don't want to say conservative, but let's say a little less accepting. Maybe they really love their country because of the fact that it's not as accepting. But I I, I for me having the shared value of the country is important for me. Mm-hmm. It's interesting to think about, I think, because if you think about somewhere like Russia, where if you speak out against the government, you are potentially jailed or murdered. And those are horrible things, but these people still stay there because they love Russia. So they they fight for Russia to become a better place. So I think that you can still be patriotic Mm -hmm. and face that sort of negative consequence. Yeah, I, I don't think that my patriotism would be eroded even if all of the things I liked about Canada were eroded. Uh, so there, there's a quote from the lecture that encompasses my thoughts on that, which is, um, my country, right or wrong, if right, to be kept right, and if wrong, to be set right. So it's it's not a just nationalistic fervor where, oh, uh, even if there was nothing good about my country, I would still love it because I because my country is still the best. Uh, it's, it's not a denial of, of the honest um, place moral place of, of, of your country at the time where he's saying like, well there's, there's obviously a continuum and, and your country isn't going to be at the top of that in terms of perfection in any qualities maybe in one perhaps but probably even unlikely in that case you know uh it, and i think the idea is that yeah although your country isn't necessarily objectively the best um you still can like it and 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 you still can be patriotic toward it and work to make it as good as you can imagine it could be. But do you think, I mean, crossing borders is actually quite difficult. Right. And once people are born into a country, it's really hard to actually leave it and actually get into another country. So I think there's some barriers hmm. that are placed that prevent people from leaving and they're also trying to make the best of what they got. Right. What do you guys think about, so if we think about somewhere like Syria where a lot of people are coming over as refugees, do you think that they maybe still have patriotism towards Syria? Or do you think when you get into a new country, you change your patriotism? I think you could hold on to both. I think you could be appreciative of um, you know, the new opportunities you have in your country, but still kind of hold with loyalty and kind of hope for the country that you left. Because I'm sure that many of them, you know, they have good memories of that their country, they would hope that one day their country would be rebuilt and that they could maybe go back. Um, not saying that they wouldn't like Canada, but just saying that they... It's your home. It's right? your home. Like that's... And there's different parts of your culture and growing up that you'll value from both. 
That's an interesting situation. Um, I definitely think that I'd be more interested in knowing what the statistics were. I'm sure there are statistics about Syrian patriotism to Syria. But I, I, what I find interesting is I think there's a utility to patriotism, which is, which is what makes it valuable. That, that's my opinion. Um, I don't think that it's, it's necessarily a virtue, no matter what country, no matter what's going on. I think, I think that it's, it's only valuable insofar as it can have a positive consequence. And in this situation with Syria, um, I think it could actually be potentially counterproductive to go move to a different country, but then remain patriotic to your country of origin. Because um, I believe all, all of the benefits of patriotism um, come in the form of, uh, you know, be, because you care about the country that you're in, you're going to use its resources in such a way as not to be selfish, as, as to not just gobble up as much as you can and leave back to your home country. Um, it, it's, it's, it's to consider the way that you use the country's resources such that it, will, it won't have a detrimental effect on your fellow patriots and your fellow citizens. So, so it kind of seems as obtuse to have a patriotism for a country that you're not currently in. That, that seems just purely detrimental to me. I know that we have, it's interesting to think about like, we have members in our group that chose to immigrate here versus there are people who are forced to immigrate here. So refugees versus people who have chosen to. Mm -hmm. And I know speaking to some of the people, like I know Imran immigrated here, and he talks about how when he came to Canada, he felt this patriotic duty to become Canadian mm -hmm. and accept our values and try and live like a Canadian. And so Imran is very Canadian. Yes. <laughs> like he... Canada Day is red, white. He's he celebrated. It's he's he's like one of my favorite actually like instances of it. Like where someone comes here and they recognize like you know there is a lot of a lot of things to be proud of here. It might not be perfect, but it's it offers a lot more to a lot more people than a lot of other countries do. And I think there is something to be said for that. So how can you then reconcile that with people who are forced to be immigrated mm. here? Is there a way to help them become patriotic? Should they be patriotic? I definitely think it would be, it would be good. And I, this is uh, crossing a line of like cultural appropriation and whatnot. But I do think that there, there would be benefits to incentivizing or in in other ways, you know, trying to create our systems such that they, they promote patriotism of refugees and anyone who really comes into our country. I really think, I think it should be promoted that they be patriotic, just on the grounds of, of that's what's going to be best for the for the country, in, in my view. To have a bunch of people in the country that aren't patriotic toward the country, it's no longer symbiotic, it, it just becomes parasitic. And I think it takes a while, though, to become patriotic. Like, I feel like it takes a while for you to feel like, these are my people, I feel welcome, I feel supported, I feel like I'm a part of this. Mm -hmm. So I think to kind of put that pressure on someone, like, we only want you here if you're patriotic, is kind of like a, no, we should focus on, we should make you feel welcome here, and then as a result, you may feel patriotic. So I think taking a stance of, oh, you're in our country now, you should feel patriotic that's best for us, is, would be really detrimental. I, I don't think that was a stance I was suggesting. I wasn't saying, you know, only let people in who were already patriotic at the onset, because I don't think that that's, that's genuine no. yeah, or, yeah. or realistic. I, I was more suggesting, just like kind of similar to what you were suggesting, that we should pick strategies of integration that, that promote a, a patriotic outcome. So whether or not that that is by not hitting them with it up front and being 
slow and wait till they feel welcomed and then allow them to find patriotism on their own. If that ends up being what's most effective, then that's what I would recommend. I'm just saying I think that the effectiveness of conversion to patriotism for the new country should be uh, should be of importance to, to the country that decides to let these people in. So would you have like a timeline for that? Like how long do you think is a reasonable amount of time? It, it, it's not an do? exclusion criteria. Okay. It, it's not an exclusion criteria. It's, it's, I, I'm not saying, you know, anyone who fails to become patriotic shouldn't be welcome here. I'm, I'm just saying we should set our systems up such that it promotes patriotism. So, okay. so uh, try and get as many of them to be as patriotic as possible. Saying nothing of what, what it's not a prescription to do something to those that fail to become patriotic. You're not handing out Canada flags and saying, yeah. hang this on your house. You're saying, yeah. like, we're trying to like come up with ways to make people, I guess, feel included so that they feel like part of the in group, yeah. right? So that they feel like they are part of the Canadian fabric rather than yeah. someone who's like a stranger who just walked into some strange place that they've never been before, right? Mm-hmm. I think it's interesting that we talk about Canada as like a we whole, but I feel like Canada's identity is about multiculturalism. Mm-hmm. So it's all about everyone having their own identities. So how do we become a we while still focusing on the individual identities? I think there still is like a stereotypical Canadian identity, though. Is there? I what is it? Yeah, I, don't, I feel like there's Help still kind of like this like plaid and hockey <laughs> and like Tim Hortons and just like turkey dinners. Like, I feel like there's still a lot of like true Canadian things like loving your maple syrup and like, like I think there still is a lot of that. And if you also look at like Canada, although we're like multicultural, we're also multicultural in like our cities. Like there's still a lot of Canada that isn't actually that diverse and multicultural. I mean, you see it when we vote, like it's really apparent. So I've kind of gone back and forth on this, like is Canada's culture super multicultural or is there also like a unique Canadian identity that people are kind of holding on to? I don't think I fit into this Canadian identity, but I was born here, right? So so then how can I feel patriotic without fitting into the identity? Like I hate hockey. I admit it, I don't really wear plaid. I eat at Tim Hortons and I like maple syrup. That's about it. <laughs> That's well, all you need to do. Exactly. You need to pick one of those items and then you're a true yeah. Canadian. Okay. One of them, then I'm okay. I, I don't really think it matters. I, I don't think it matters why you're patriotic. I think what's more important is that you become patriotic. So, I mean, you can imagine a civilization where, uh, where it is extremely multicultural and... Um, and every single individual in the in, in the society has a different reason for why they, they believe that they are a member of that of that nation, um, and and they all might individually think that that or or things like that are the most important elements of of their nation, but they might all actually even disagree about what's important. So is it important to uh, to like hockey? Because I love hockey, you know, and that's and that's why I'm patriotic and I'm a Canadian because I love hockey. But then somebody else is like. I don't like hockey, but you know I love Tim Hortons, and you know and I think that's really important to being Canadian. And I, I don't, I don't think it matters, you know, you know, if if everyone in the in the in the society agrees on what those individual qualities of the nation are. I think that what really matters is that they all agree that they are all a part of that nation, and that they all like that nation for one reason or another. Do you think there's 
is or should be a set like duties of being a Canadian patriot? Like, I what? think you should have to vote as a Canadian. If you are a Canadian patriot, then you should be voting. Uh, so you're agreeing, you think like the Australian model where uh, everyone's obligated to vote versus right now in Canada, it's optional. I didn't even know Australia was obligated to vote. That is yeah. awesome. Yeah. You in should Australia. be obligated to vote. Mm-hmm. I saw a statistic about this recent election in Ontario, and only 58% of eligible voters voted. That is insane to me. How can you live in this country? But if someone's not informed, like, do you also want uninformed voters voting? Then inform yourself. It doesn't take that long. It you takes can't 20 force, minutes of your time. You can't force someone to inform themselves. You can only force someone to cast a ballot. Then you can, you can decide to decline your ballot. You can go but, in and you can say, I decline my ballot. So if you feel uninformed, go in, decline your ballot. That's still doing your patriotic duty. I, I, I actually I do agree with uh, with part of what they're saying about about how nationalism and, and patriotism are, are kind of all an element of of freedom. And if we think that individual humans should have the ability to to have freedom of choice and freedom of decision, then I think that that should extend to countries. Countries should have the right to choose whether or not they want to have prescriptions. Uh, you know, and duties associated with patriotism. I, I, I don't think that you can cast that as all nations should require its citizens to have duties to do X. I think that's more, an indi- just like an individual has a right to make personalized decisions about certain things, I think nations should have the right to have make personalized decisions about what prescriptions they want to impose on their citizens. Well, I assume there would be different duties, but you would still think that in your mind right now, when you talk about patriotism in Canada, that you have some kind of model of what that looks like, even if it's diverse. So I'm not saying that there's like a set duties for all the different countries. I'm just wondering if you think there's certain duties that are more... But specific duties? Are you saying that... Are you asking if I think that... Like specific duties, not in like you have to vote or you have to jump up and down three times, but just like you need to value this or... You show your support. But what I'm asking are is, are, are you asking are, are you asking me if nations should have duties in general, or if there are specific duties that should be important to all nations? W- which question are you asking? But you're talking about uh, whether there's certain sets of values that yeah, people cer- share within yeah, the country. Yeah, certain duties and values that yeah. Canadians, like a Canadian patriot, would share. I, I have a tough. Or? I have a tough time with like values because values change over time mm-hmm. and it's one of those well we might agree on a certain set of values now but it may evolve over time and uh, I, I don't know if there's this one everlasting value that I certainly don't think there are yeah or you're into the problem where you might agree like you might have these same values but you may have different ideas about how to achieve those va- the end result of those values and then there's a lot of there's a lot of like or tension or conflict in terms of how, you know whose solution do we pick, right? So there's always, are you unpatriotic if you, you know, if you go say we all want to uh, we all want to eradicate poverty, right? So one group wants to do it by uh, raising taxes and uh, creating a, a social safety net. Another group wants to do it by uh, cutting taxes and uh, you know helping people lift themselves up by their bootstraps or whatever, right? So, I mean, but they're all saying they want the same thing. One of them is a better response than another. I'm not going to say, you know, what, irrelevant of which is which. But I mean, you know, so it's not necessarily the value that's the important part. It's how do you, how do you expect to get to, the, to that value? How do you get to that end result? And yeah. I think it's almost, it's, it's a shared agreement within a certain geography that we belong in this tribe, mm-hmm. this tribe called Canada. 
And I, I don't know if we can really attach like values because it changes and it's a little subjective. But I do think that if there was one duty that mattered, it would be the duty to want to improve your country. I, I think I think that is kind of really the only duty that matters. And then, uh, like Brad was saying, you know, that can manifest itself in a number of different ways. Um, and for different countries, it might mean completely different things. But I think you should care. You should be invested in the success of your country. And I don't want to go so far as saying in the flourishing of its members, because then you get into uh, an issue which was described at the end of the lecture, which was, you know, if we all believe that individually, you know, the circumstances of our birth shouldn't dictate our, our well, our, you know, initial standpoint and successes in the world, like our, our ethnicity shouldn't, our sex sh shouldn't, you know, someone born white male shouldn't have all these extra benefits imposed on them. Well, someone born just in Canada, that's just as arbitrary as somebody being born in, in you know, in Syria. And, and if we have this duty to look after our members above the needs of everybody else, well, then we're kind of privileging members of a particular nation that happens to be well off for no other reason than the circumstances of their birth. So I, I don't know that I'd say that the duty of the country should be or the duty of the citizens should be to take at, take care of each of their own citizens first. I don't know if I'd go that far, but I would say that uh, the well-being of the country is important. Whether that means um, the moral well-being of the country, so you know if that's something you value, well, then maybe it's important that you ensure that your country is giving aid to other countries when necessary, right? Uh, so I, I think it's, it's just as long as you care about the success of your country, whatever that means. Then, then you're a patriot. I think that should be the only duty, and, and everything else is negotiable. What about, like, I know he discussed this idea of natural duties and associative duties, but what if associative duties are really more natural-based, but because you have a government of people and people who, you know, have this group together that they want to support each other, that's just kind of a way of carrying out a natural duty of wanting to see the good, like, wanting to improve the lives of the people around you. Could you give a description of, of a definition of the two duties again? Sorry. Um, so the natural duty is just trying to, like, good for all people regardless of membership, mm. whereas associative duty is wanting to do good for the people that are in your, you know, your right. club, your neighborhood, your group, in your country. But the one thing is, like, are you doing it because they're in your country, or is it just as a result of them being your country, you're able to affect those people, right? Like, there's certain things that we can kind of advocate for, which can, you know, improve the lives of our, like, the people around us in our country. But it would take much other resources to be able to have that same kind of impact in a different country. I don't think that's true anymore. No. No, I, I definitely don't think in our global society that uh, that an argument like that uh, of just the efficiency of the way that we spend our time and resources can, can really be made. And maybe in the past that could be true, because if you wanted to bring food to another country, you'd have to transport your food there. But now it's as simple as saying a button and wire ordering some, wire ordering some money over, over to that other country. And, and that can have the same kind of positive benefit. Uh, for them, so it's not as difficult. I mean, maybe, maybe, maybe the information. There's certain things, though. For example, like if we value individual freedoms, mm -hmm. we can advocate in our own country that we want a government with individual freedoms. But I wouldn't know how to advocate for that in another country. Right? Like, there's certain things. Like, I get what you mean. Like, we can give aid to certain like countries, but there's certain systems and values which are much easier supported when you're all working together as a group with the in-group like with the group members yourself as coming as like as an out-group member I, I guess what i would say to that is um 
Yeah, I, I do. I do agree with you that there are certain things like advocating for a particular political party within within your country. Um, obviously, you would be stand a better chance of advocating for that of having an influence on the election in your own country than you would. I mean, unless you're a Russian, but uh, but but I don't think that that would be an actual value because because I I don't know if I would if I would say that. Um, I, I could extend. I think that this country over there should, uh, you know, elect this person over this person. You know, I, I don't see it as as being our responsibility to negotiate the values or the duties of the citizens of, of other nations. So I, I would draw a line between kind of objective aid, or, or which would be you know making sure people aren't starving, and 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 I wouldn't lump you know political advocacy into that necessarily. What do you say, like, when people tell you, so if you say you want to help other countries who have people who are starving, but people say, hey, we have people who are starving. We should help ourselves before we help other people. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't think that that, I, I think that if you agree that the circumstance of your birth shouldn't, like from a, from a fairness standpoint, a moral standpoint, shouldn't be the largest you know, indicator of, of your success and well-being in life. You know, and I think people agree with that with sex. They say just because you're born a woman doesn't mean that your life should be horrible. Uh, just because you're born, you know, with a certain sexual orientation, just because you're born with a certain ethnicity. We agree on all these things, but then for some reason when we get to nationality, it's, oh, well, well, yeah, I was born Canadian, so I deserve to have a better life. Well, you didn't have any, any, any influence over where you were born. So what's going to happen if you allow countries to take care of their own in an in-group, out-group way is you're going to end up just enforcing the principle that, that if you argue in favor of it, you have to argue in favor that they deserve to privilege the members of their own group nationality in a way that you would reject that they should have that privilege uh, if it were sexual orientation or gender or any of the others. So, so I, I, don't, I don't agree with that. I, I think that that's one of the negatives of patriotism. I think that's kind of where patriotism can, can go wrong. So I'll give sure. I'll give a uh, a corporate example basically, but in, in my mind, like helping other countries will only help your own because when you look at Canada, we are an exporter, and when you lift one country up, it only will help us because we get to you know do more business with them, we get to potentially get more talent from them, and at the end of the day. Helping other countries will only help yourself, and so I, I don't I don't buy this argument where you know we have to s- solve our own problems and not solve other people's problems. There's there's give and take. We're we're a global community and we're a, a global economy, and cash flows across borders uh, all the time, and we need to be able to help other economies so that we can help our own economy essentially. So I'm giving my my corporate stance here. <laughs> Just along the same line. Like it's you know if we if you if a segment of your population is mad that uh, another an outgroup is trying to get into your country. Like one of the ways that you can stop that outgroup from trying to come into your country is an, is improving the conditions in their country in the first place so that they aren't trying to escape whatever it is, right? Yeah. So rather than uh, people trying to escape a country in desperate, you know, desperate times, people coming here with nothing and that are going to be reliant on our social uh, safety nets and our, and our generosity, like, you know, recognizing the human condition, you know, we, 
invest in those countries. We help them build this infrastructure. We help them so that we're bringing in their, you know, we're bringing in their, their established professionals. And, you know, we're bringing in people who are contributing back into Canada immediately rather than having to be like brought in and like kind yeah. of cared for to get them kind of back on their feet. So yeah. time and time again, like it's been shown, the best type of border control is to actually help those countries and to reduce the incentive for people to actually leave their country. But does, isn't that sidestepping the initial question that was asked? Because that's, that's, that's not answering uh, the moral question of whether or not we should have the right to look after our own interests over the interests of others. You're just giving a justification for why we might want, why we might want to do that. But I mean, if you could, as you're saying, oh, well, looking after others is looking after our rights. So, so it, it's, 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 not, it's not a denial of, it's, it's not saying, no, we don't have the right to look after our rights and nobody else's. It's saying, well, we can do that anyway, because, and we can, we can avoid the moral issue because it technically helps both of us. But surely you can imagine a situation where being patriotic and helping, helping your neighbor or helping your fellow citizen is purely you know, beneficial to you and purely excluding the help or the, or the benefit you could be providing to somebody else. And in some cases, that benefit is 10 times larger. And, and, and I'm sure you could find a situation where benefiting somebody else won't ultimately come back and benefit you. Uh, so, so the real moral question is, do we have a right to prioritize our own interests over the, the interests of others? Not, um, should we maybe prioritize the interests of others more in the sake of serving our own interests? Yeah, but I would say, in my opinion, yes, I think we do have the right to prioritize our interests over others. But when it comes to the evidence... We shouldn't. We shouldn't. I mean, we, we should base decisions on evidence and... I think there is a lot of evidence that show because we are a global economy, we do need to be able, we need to be able to help others to protect ourselves. So, so should white straight males have the right to always only hire other white straight males because they view themselves because I, 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 sure, we're talking about patriotism, which is you know country level, but there's other la layers of, of, of allegiance uh, to groups such as sexual orientation and such not and such. So, on the national side, you say you think that it's okay that we look after the interests of our own in group, but should it be okay for uh, you know, and, that, and that's within a global community, but should it be okay within a national community for other smaller subgroups. To, to privilege their own and, and to provide an, uh, you know benefits only to those within their own group because hey they're in my group I have a right to, to value you know the success of people in my group more than I value the success of people in my own group I think that's where the legal system comes in and says everybody regardless of gender race creed is a Canadian and all Canadians are treated this way by law so once you are a member of that Canadian in group you lose your ability to only hire straight white men because unless you can come up with some reason, right, that might give you some kind of an exception, but I mean, broadly speaking, you have to hire Canadians. Whatever Canadian is the most qualified, that's the one you have to hire because that's the law. And that, that's, I think we would all agree that that's a good thing. So, so why wouldn't we extend that out to the national or to the global side? Why wouldn't we say there should be a global body that can pass laws that says... You know, no, you're being a dick and only taking care of your own interests, Mr. Trump. 
you know, and <laughs> you're and, and random. someone, you know, right? Yeah, and There's lots of them, and you shouldn't be able to disadvantage the rest of the world for your own perceived benefit, whether or not. Um, they're right or wrong about the way that their actions are going to ultimately end up. But there are. There's like the World Trade Organization. There are uh, global organizations that uh, do this. But the problem with the U.S. is enforcement. Who has the power here? And it's really kind of a power struggle at this point. But But you would agree that that's a good thing. But it, it seems like you would think that based on your previous stance that you said that we have a right to be able to look after our own wouldn't you be opposed to the constraints on that right imposed by a, by a government body? Like, like, like what, what right does some government body have to take your right away from you to privilege those within your own society? If you feel that that's a right that you have, why would you be okay and on board with a, a global power infringing on your right in that, in that respect? But the global power is really just a collection of nations. So, but I, not but all nations would, are equal, right? Like you said, we have a right to, to privilege our nation over other nations. Uh, effectively, uh, what I'm saying is, 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 is I disagree that we should have the right to privilege our own over, over others. And I think that if you drill down on it enough, you, you know, if you draw an analogy between all the other groups that claim a right to privilege themselves over anyone in their outgroup, we agree it's wrong in all those cases, and we agree there should be laws to constrain those people in those cases because we disagree that they should have that right. Um, so in, in the global level, why, why should it be any different? Then well, are I, you neglecting your own people, though, because you're just treating everyone all over the world equally? Are you kind of neglecting your own people? Like, are you ignoring the poverty that's happening yeah. here? Well, or? let me, I mean, for the World Trade Organization, for example, I think the organization believes that every nation has a right to obviously protect themselves and to make sure they do what's best for their country. So with that understanding, the collective global community can come up with agreements on trade yeah. and to, to better both to create a win-win situation essentially. And, but if one country decides that they are going to create a win-lose situation, hmm. I think that's where it becomes a problem for a global community. And okay. while, yeah, it, the country has a right to ensure they do what's best for a country, but if they do what's best for a country, to also, which will also result in hindering the ability of other countries to be economically prosperous, then I think that's a problem. Another maybe extreme example would be, for example, let's say a certain country want to expand their geography. I mean, we can, yes, it's... <laughs> to their advantage, but I think it's clear that that's not right, right from a global yeah. community standpoint. So I think there's a differentiation between okay. trying to create a win-lose situation and a win-win situation. Well, can I ask you a question? Sure. So now you're saying that people should not be disadvantaged based on what country they're from. But earlier I got the sense that you're like, it's beneficial for a country if the people are patriotic and you don't want people coming from another country into Canada and then still being patriotic to their other country, so taking resources from Canada to that country. And you kind of gave the example of like refugees coming from Syria and then you know getting the resources here mm-hmm. and then taking that back to that country. Okay. Whereas if you thought, if you really believed that people shouldn't be disadvantaged based on what country they're from, then it's a positive thing for people to come here to Canada, bring resources from Canada, and you know rebuild Syria. So I I think that. 
the best way to to address this is the idea. Well, first, the example I was giving in, in with the situation of someone coming in and not being patriotic and how that would be a bad thing. Uh, I may have given a bad example, a poor example of it being a bad thing because they would take it back resources back to their own country. I think I think um, my 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 real example there, my real reasoning there was that the system of democracy can't really function well if if we don't believe that other actors in our in our nation are acting in good faith or with good intentions for the interests of all um, so an example given in in the lecture was it's okay that your par political party loses because the other political party is still a canadian political party and and, and there's this tacit assumption that uh, that other political parties also care about what's best for Canada. Where if, let's say, a party of, 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 of non-Canadians or recent immigrants, uh, you know, was, was the party of Syria in Canada, uh, you know, they might find ways to inefficiently try and benefit Syria using our system. So it might, not, it might end up being a, a net loss of resources overall and just net inefficiency because you have actors trying to manipulate in a way that isn't beneficial to, to the main group. And I think a quote uh, from the lecture was that, that applies to this is, people should be loyal or else they shouldn't take those jobs in reference to, um, to Ro Rosemary Woods, who was the secretary of, I believe it was Nixon. President Nixon. Um, so she, she pretty much said, like, yeah, loyalty is necessary to do the job of being the secretary of the president. Because he needs a secretary, but no president would want a secretary who gets to know him intimately, who is then going to go and spill all of his negative secrets. Like you just can't have a functioning, a secretary, you know, president relationship without loyalty. And I think there's a lot of a lot of other circumstances where you can't have a functioning society without certain elements of loyalty. So, so that so I do agree that loyalty to your country is important for the sake of of the functionality of that society. But I don't think that that should be enabled because we have a right to do so. I think that should be enabled because it's it's efficient to do so. Therefore, you also need to have global constraints on the way that people are going to exercise, uh, you know, their 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 patriotic agendas. So no taking territory from other people. <laughs> no, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's good that they want yeah. to benefit their country, yeah. but we should have certain constraints. So we're not allowed to invade the U.S. <laughs> well, we are we are a security threat, aren't we? Didn't yeah, we, we are. Yeah. Didn't, we, didn't we burn down the White House? Who <laughs> <laughs> did that? Yeah. No, no, we're gonna build a wall. <laughs> Not yeah, I saw a privacy that. hedge. Yeah, <laughs> I saw that. <laughs> that, was, that was on Facebook. We're gonna build a privacy hedge instead. <laughs> or two walls and a roof. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think Esther said yeah, that one. Yeah. One thing that stuck out to me was kind of this idea of. Um, the idea of being globalizing of like criminal law rather than having like a big globalized state which I think I agree with I don't think it would be functional to have one earth nation but rather having an earth nation which looks at criminal law so making sure that you know actions are taken to benefit either both groups or a group rather than this you know win-loss situation you give an example. Well, I think there's certain actions that we can agree on um, that you shouldn't be taking an action if it's going to disadvantage uh, another group or like even criminal, right? Like, well, what do you, what do you mean regarding 
a global nation or a global society that decides this, a global law? Like, what do you mean by that? So, like, you could have, like, global criminal law. So that certain actions, um, for example, like genocides at the whole, like, Earth Revolt you oh, about. Okay. Or even things like, I don't know, maybe even, like, things like money laundering and offshore things like that. Like, there's certain actions that... I think could be agreed upon. I thought you meant globalized law, where every country has the same laws. No, no, no. Okay, yeah, no, there'd be I, yeah. Cert, like there'd be a set laws that the earth would kind of fall through, so that if you did kind of a criminal thing in one country, you'd be kind of held accountable in all. Yeah, I see. So you can't just like leave to another country. But, but I think, think those would be criminal laws rather than like. So what's interesting about that is uh, is right now patriotism to some extent is what prevents some of those negatives. Uh, so, for example, um, if your country is investing less in, in or let's, let's say that your country increases taxes on you to, uh, so to create safety nets for the less wealthy in the country, which will ultimately be good for the country. But in this moment, it's bad for you because now you're paying more tax. Patriotism is, is, is what acts not as a necessary preventative, uh, but, but it, it acts to prevent some people from just jumping ship and going to the country with the lowest taxes in their tax bracket. It's because they say, well, I'm so loyal to my country, so I view that it's okay that some of my money is going to these because I, it's ultimately best for the country. Where if you were to globalize and tear down borders and not have patriotism anymore, well, you still have to deal with selfish Im impulse. So what is going to prevent uh, people's selfish impulse from preventing uh, them from allowing the world to, to, to flourish if if not something like patriotism and, and that's where I think if, if that, that's where what you recommended is going to come, come into play and replace some of the benefits of patriotism once patriotism goes away once borders go away uh, and it's going to replace that with laws that force you to to act you're giving you're giving a face I'm giving a face which is part of the <laughs> the context that's talking about what, what is the face for uh, the face is because you're saying that there are no border, like borders are eliminated, but then there's still taxes in regions. Oh no, no, it could be a global tax. Oh. But then if there's a global tax, then like you're not going to be able to evade the tax anyway. Like then you don't need patriotism to hold it into place. Well, no, no, because you can you can vote. You know, like so you might lobby to not have these taxes imposed or something of that nature. What I'm saying is, is it's it's not the, the individual example aside. I'm talking. I'm just saying. People are self-interested, but when they're in a country that they're patriotic for, their self-interest is is hell. It's shackled a little bit. It's constrained by their patriotism. So so they would be more willing to allow uh, you know themselves to not be maximally benefited individually because they understand there's a greater good that is being served. And you think that would be gone when there's no borders? You think people would be like, screw the gator good. It's no. just me now. Well, I'm just like, saying, I'm saying then... patriotism was one of the soldiers of the greater good. But then you would just think that if there's no borders and we're like a global earth, that you would just have patriotism to fellow earth people. But, uh, okay, that brings us back to a quote here. And it says, if you believe you're a citizen of the world, you are a citizen of nowhere, Right. So, so that, that's, that's, no, I don't necessarily agree with that. I, I more agree with the idea that, you know, technically, if another species came along, well, you're a citizen of Earth, right? So, so it's like you are. you're taking the stance, which was also mentioned actually at the question here at the end of the discussion, that maybe it's necessary for humans to have an outgroup. Do you think that is true? No. 
What that's I'm the sa- standard. It's no, it's not my stance. What okay. I'm saying is, I'm saying patriot. I'm saying that without an out group, currently there is the problem of selfishness. Okay, having an out group necessarily means there is an in group, yes. and having an in group fights against your selfish tendencies because now there's this greater good of serving your in group which which is is at conflict with your own desires to only serve yourself so 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 by having an in group it, it it's it's a constraint on purely selfish desire because now you also care about the success of your of your in group just like if you were a, a fan of a hockey team you care about the hockey team's success maybe even if it means that you that you have to go pay expensive tickets and sit somewhere and cheer them on or I'm trying to think of a detriment for supporting them but somebody might be okay to take a detriment individually to support their their sports team winning well the same might be true of somebody being willing to take a detriment in terms of well I'm willing to pay more taxes it's okay because I care about my country and I want my country to do well and I realize that these taxes are going toward my country so what I'm saying is if you remove borders and you remove patriotism and in-group, out-group, I'm not saying that, oh, we, we need patriotism because it's the only way to constrain, constrain selfishness. I'm saying we would then just need a different way to constrain our selfishness, and perhaps that's something like global law. I don't, ne- I don't necessarily think that we would ever dissolve our borders. Like, I think that those borders would still be there. They, we might just, they might just behave differently. Like, I think that there will always... Because there's, like, you know, all level, levels of in-groups in, in and out-groups, right? So, I mean, we're... You know, we're Londoners, right? But then we're also Ontarians, and we're also Canadians, and we're also Earthlings, right? So I think if we had some more of a global, like, so, so more World Trade Organization, like more global groups that kind of try to encourage cooperative globalization among, uh, you know, developed countries, that I don't think you necessarily see the borders dissolve. I just think that they might. Just like a new layer? Have a different, yeah, they might serve different They'd purposes. They'd be more fluid also. I imagine people tra- traveling more between borders. Yeah, like the European you know? Union. Yeah. So, so when that happens, patriotism for the, indivi- for, for the individual, uh, you know, landmass that now has a border that's kind of less border-like, you know, uh, I'm not saying borders are going to go away, but it, it wouldn't be the same border. It, it, so patriotism is going to take a hit, whether or not borders dissolve or not. I think that in a globalized society, patriotism becomes less meaningful to the individual. And, and, and considering that patriotism is serving the positive function of constraining selfishness, you need another way to constrain selfish behavior. Perhaps that could be global law. I'm not saying that without patriotism, we're doomed to our own selfish behavior. Therefore, we need to have in-group, out-group. Okay. I'm saying there's other things that can serve the same function just without without needing to be patriotism. Gotcha. So this is a, this is putting a label on the, the whatever it is that that you're just putting the patriotism label on that framework. I don't, you know what I mean? So you're basically taking that same framework, you're just applying it more globally and calling it something else. No, 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 because patriotism, patriotism is something that the, it's a constraint the individual puts on themselves, on their own behavior, because it's a value that they hold, that they use to constrain their own selfishness, where I'm saying that once that goes away, as I think it would, if you had less, uh, less, you know, resolute borders and, and less loyalty to one place, then I think you'd end up having more self-interest. So you would need to constrain it from the outside. So it's not the exact same. It, it, it's, it goes from self-constraint. 
to uh, replacing that function from the outside with law. So, you know, don't, I don't know, don't create a company that, that hardly pays its workers and sits on all the wealth, you know, like a minimum wage. That's an example of, of a outside law that constrains individual selfishness. Where patriotism is an example of an internal conflict that constrains individual selfishness. Uh, we definitely need a constraint on selfishness, whether it's internal or external. But it doesn't. We don't need patriotism to constrain our selfishness. I think that 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 function could be could be replaced if we could get past, you know, especially nationalistic, you know, interests. If, if we can if we can cast all the negatives of that aside. And it ends up putting a dampen on on our on our patriotism. I mean, I think there are ways forward. So that concludes Will's rant. <laughs> on isn't outgroup necessary for a species? I don't I think, think it you is. Made a good, I think you made a good yeah. point because I was really lost for a while. Yeah, no, I, I kind like, of got where you were going at the end. There. At the end, because at first I was like, it really sounds like you're still saying we need an outgroup, but no, I, I get that now. I get now <laughs> that it's like it's not necessary. It's saying that like. From an internal perspective, it seems like an outgroup is necessary, but we can put external. Yeah, because really, that's all we know, yeah. right? Yeah. Like, that's like that's our perspective right now, because that's all yeah. we know. But I'm sure that we would have to we would have to adapt some other yeah. mechanism System. to put those constraints on. Because yeah, I mean, what the, the point of the in group in group outgroup thing is that when you're in the in group, right? That in group is trying to if you are of the mind that you are competing with an outgroup. Right, you're as the in group, you are hoarding resources, right? Oh yeah, right. <laughs> you're hoarding resources because you think you're in, you think you're in competition. So that's the whole point. So you, when you remove that out group, you still have those people who still feel like they need to hoard and collect all of the resources, and there, and there does need to be some kind of a governor on. And we uh, already on, have on those things in place yeah. at our various like levels of government trying to ensure that things are shared equally within those groups. And there isn't kind of an in-group, out-group within Canada or within yeah. Ontario. Right. That's a London. good point. We're already making strides yeah. uh, at putting constraints that, that, will, that will function even without an in-group, out-group. You know, I, do, so do you think if we wind the clock back, do you think in the past, um, previous societies... You know, allowed patriotism or or internal constraints to kind of rule, and they had less they had less need to to constrain. I think sometimes those internal constraints, because we're all members of different groups and different levels, right? Like you could be patriotic to Ontario, and then that go against the other provinces. Right. So patriotism can go in both ways. It can well, make not me... patriotism, but loyalty. Loyalty. Sorry, yeah, patriotism is for the country, but loyalty to the different groups. So I think our governments are trying to balance that out to, on one hand, make you patriotic to your country, but also make sure that you're not like prioritizing your province over the other province. Hmm. And I think that the goal for like a globalization would be the same kind of idea that, you know, you're still trying to improve the values or not the values the opportunities and resources in your area but you're not trying to detriment others and you're trying to work together mm-hmm. i don't think you ever said what your uh how you patriot yeah you're <laughs> especially as somebody who doesn't identify with the classically stereotypically canadian my definition <laughs> of patriotism yeah i don't know i haven't really thought about that before i think it's mostly 
Somebody who cares about Canada moving forward ethically and morally to a place where we accept all people and somebody who votes. Because I think that's, I really, truly, I know I'm going back, but I think it's so important that you vote in some way and somebody who, because that goes along with caring about how we move forward as a country, somebody who's kind. And I know that there's a stereotype about Canada being polite and kind, and we are. And I think, because I've heard from other people who've come to this country who visited and, and, or when I've visited other countries and they talk about how Canada is so polite and you just don't get that anywhere else in the world. And I think that's, but that's, that's a, basically a definition of Canadian patriotism from you, right? Because like yes. other countries would definitely yes, not yes. have those. But they could still be patriotic. They could still be patriotic. That's my definition of Canadian patriotism. So we what, about... What, what do you think patriotism is in general? Do so you think it's just supporting the values of your own nation, no matter or of your no matter what those values are, or do you think it's proper only if you can properly support those values? So you obviously like that Canadians are polite, and you think it's patriotic to support that aspect of, of our nation. So, so is patriotism, in your view, just su- supporting what, what the nation's values are, no matter what they are, or is it only if they're good values? Only if they're good. Like, I really believe with, or I really agree with Charles Jones about how you should criticize your country and say, you know, I think this is wrong. I think we should move in this direction. Um, so I think that you can agree with some of the values and agree with uh, or disagree with some of the other values and then work to change those. I think that's patriotism. Yeah. Okay. Criticizing. But what about, uh, so in, in China, the, you definitely can't criticize. They, mm-hmm. I wouldn't call them the most polite society <laughs> um, because everyone, I mean, when you're on the street, you're, you're in it for yourself <laughs> when it comes yeah. to Crossing the road. Yeah. <laughs> so, hey, it works over there somehow. And it works. You know? Yeah. Well, because everyone right. fends for themselves and right. you're not concerned about other people's uh, problems. Right. Or whether someone's in front of you or not. <laughs> you just got to go through. Does that make them happy, though? Like, are they but, happy? Is anyone really happy? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. I'm just joking. But I think if you actually ask most citizens in China, they're not upset about everything. They're I, I the people I've talked to, they're generally happy. They're glad yeah. about where they are. And they might prefer that way of life and that is in their way their patriotism to their country and to what they know. They they, they grew up in that environment and they're used to it and this is what they believe is right for them. Well, one could argue maybe it's also because the government has manipulated (laughs) this uh, mentality. Are they not also a much more um, homogenous society? Like if Mm -hmm. if there's 80 or 90% of the population is like Han, Chinese Mm -hmm. or whatever, right? As opposed to like Tibetan or whatever. So I mean, I think that not having to necessarily fight those culture wars within the country might allow people to feel like they're less out threatened by something else i mean and that would give you just an inherent sense of that's a big an inherent sense of what security right that you're not that you're you're not sharing to go back to having to share resources with outgroups right you if if 80 percent of the country is ethnically identical to you or whatever right they give that that in-group with there's probably a lot of just mental surety to that that you don't Mm -hmm. feel that you're necessarily and i mean let's be honest china's doing a lot of 
pretty big things globally, right? So there is a lot in China. If you were just to take a broad look at things, that there's a fair amount that a Chinese person could have to be, you know, proud of their country, just as much as there would be things that they'd be not proud about their country, right? Well, we'd never know about those things. <laughs> Statistically speaking, no. Yeah, they never get to talk about it. But anyways, I like Canadian values, but but I I could also be. It could also be because I've lived in Canada right. for so long, mm-hmm. and I this is this is the values I grew up in. Yeah, like I remember when I was a child, I grew up in Chatham, Ontario, and uh, they had this uh, festival of nations, like a multicultural festival. And like I remember growing up, just thinking like, before I knew better, that just just must be what like the whole world is like, right? Like just mm-hmm. everybody gets together, just everyone celebrates their cultures and you know their diversity and all the cool things that come with you know, their food and their dances and. You know, that that was just how it was. It was a real rude awakening when you're growing up to be an adult, realizing, oh, everybody hates each other. Okay, so I had, I had a little wrong. I like that Canada protects its minorities and, and things like that. Yeah, I think it's, I think Canada has a, I think Canada's, one of Canada's strengths is that it doesn't necessarily have a, like a necessarily, it's a, it is a, there is no like back history for everybody in Canada, mm-hmm. right? Like there is no, one Canadian history that applies to everybody who's here, right? Like everybody's, everybody who's here has their own history, right? Coming from Malaysia, my parents, my grandparents came from uh, England, you know, so I mean, everybody's, and then it's all just like a generation or two ago. Like there's, we don't have hundreds of years necessarily of experience, each of us with our own, you know, families going back. So I think our collective experience is everybody sharing their collective experience. And that's kind of what our culture is We've learned to appreciate each other's different cultures. And it's helpful that most of them are European, right? So even though they're different, that's made it easier. But it's still, I mean, there is, I mean, look at our parliament, right? Like there's Sikhs, there's Muslims, I don't know if any Muslims, but there's Sikhs, there's women, there's, you know, it's, it's a good, healthy diversity. And I think so that's... So one of the questions that we had written down was around multiculturalism and whether we are losing our values as we kind of expire to be more multicultural. So maybe I'll rephrase, uh, are we at risk of losing our current values or aspirational values? I don't think Um, we really have any concrete ones. uh, Sherry, you mentioned Canadian values in terms of uh, acceptance, there's LGBT rights, things like that. I believe maybe a year ago, there was quite a big fuss about... Actually, no, it's right now. There's a big fuss around like sex education, um, trying to roll that back. And one of the things that was surprising to me was there was quite a lot of opposition from communities that were primarily immigrant backgrounds. How do we balance multiculturalism, immigration, bring people's culture and values from other countries and try to integrate into our By opposition, did you mean that they were opposed to rolling it back or they were opposed to... They were opposed to the new sex education. So they were were for rolling it back. They were for rolling it back. Okay. I noticed a lot of that as well. I know I was reading a newspaper and for this past election for Ontario where Ford got elected and um, there were people who talked about gave their opinion on why they voted for Ford. And one of them was a Muslim woman who said she voted for Ford because she didn't want the sex education system. And the thing that you have to deal with when other people come in from different 
countries is they bring both their culture and potentially religion. So thinking about how if she's Muslim, it's sort of in her religion to be a little bit more conservative when it comes to sexual advocation. And so, you know, how do we balance that as Canadians? Yeah, well, it's not even just a real religion aside. It's just it's just separate values. You know, it's different values, whether religious or not. And yeah, it's interesting because if, if as I think I heard mentioned at some point in this podcast, uh, we believe that our one of our core values is our multiculturalism. You would think that we would embrace it to the extent that it didn't become overwhelming, right? So I, I think I think if if the, one of the core values of being Canadian was accepting all uh, views and whatnot. Or not accepting, but at least having a society that tolerates all of them and all, gives them all a platform to, to, to speak. Then it's important that we don't end up getting an influx of one value that's so strong that it overpowers the other values. So, so in some sense, you know, if, if there's a very strong, vocal, even minority um, of people, of, of immigrants, let's say, coming in with, with, with values that are just disproportionately, uh, you, you know, having an effect on the way that our systems function... Well, that it wouldn't it wouldn't be anti-Canadian to to push back against that because he, because it's it's not pushing back against multiculturalism. It's still promoting multiculturalism because you have one culture that's trying to impose itself on everybody else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, to me, there's an expectation for immigrants when they come to Canada to assimilate certain values that we uh, have stated, and of course, laws. Right? There's we definitely have laws that prevent sexism in the workplace and things like that where you may find more sexism in other countries so we have certain laws and values that are different from other countries and personally i think we should expect immigrants when they do come there are certain expectations of obeying the laws of the land the values of the land I agree. I mean, when, an, when an immigrant comes to Canada, I mean, they bring their whole culture, right? So it's not to say that their whole culture is problematic, but there might be aspects of it are that they're going to ask them to and leave one, behind. And one would assume that they've done the research and know <laughs> what laws and right. values are in Canada. Yeah. I don't know. You still come back to the idea of refugees, of people who are forced to be here. How do you how do you help those people? How do you help them become Canadian? embrace those Canadian values? Well, the refugees, I think, typically are intended to come here only temporarily, right? Like, I think a refugee is supposed to come here and hang out. It's not like an asylum seeker, right, where they're coming here to live. It's never going to work out that way. Well, no, I mean, sure, it, may, it might not happen that way. Yeah. But I mean, it, intentionally, right, like, or the intention is that we, we take in a refugee whose home and life have been destroyed and that when things get better, they're free to move back to, like, where they, you know, well, we're, we're not... Keeping them here. I feel like that's right? that's a we're giving them refuge. That that's that's, that's a misguided like like that might be the intent, sure. but it's intellectually misguided because that's just quite apparently not what's going to happen. Because what, why would we expect that they would come here and then maybe have kids here, or maybe maybe ed- those educate their kids here, or start to get a, an education here, or and 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 even move some of their family members here who are gonna create roots here. Why would we ever expect with all of the all of the things that are are rooting them here once they get here? Why would we expect them to go back? But what I'm saying is maybe things aren't rooting them here. Maybe they are maybe they don't want and have no intention of accepting LGBT uh, rights and, you know, uh, treating 
females fairly. Like, that's just that that they have no intention of that, and as soon as they can go home, they're going to go home. So you're right? kind like, of saying, like, we're not forcing people to come live in our country and meet our values. We're saying, these are the values if you want to be in our right. country. Right, if you want to stay, these are our values. If you don't want to stay, you're free to go back home whenever you feel that it's yeah. safe to go back home. That's all I'm saying. I'm not saying that's the worst one way or another. I'm just saying right. that's okay. broadly how it should be working. So how, how do we push back for example, in the election, so we have Ford now in power and the sex education may be rolled back. Are, are we at risk of losing some of these important values or do we need to do something to continue to educate people on why these values are important? Can, can, can I, I mean, and I might be wrong, but I mean, I feel like there's a distinction here that is kind of getting away, uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of getting away from us. We're, we're I think it was like kind of like a latent assumption that it was the immigrants no, no, I, that yeah, was I, causing this poll. But I feel like there's strong support within Canadians, mm-hmm. Christian Canadians, sure. yeah. for rolling back, uh, you, you know, the, the sex curriculum. I'm not, not saying I think that's right, but it's certainly not... Uh, these immigrants are changing our culture. It, it's sure. I, 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 totally. I, I, we understand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to make sure that yeah. I knew you guys knew yeah. that. I just wanted to make sure it was clear to anyone who might be listening that that is not where this yeah. is going. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For the fair clarification. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's fair. I think there is a s- smaller group in, in Ontario that have been more vocal about the sex education because the rest of us like are okay with it and we accept it and we just sit back and and quietly go with it, right? But then there's a small group of potentially religious or whatever culturally um, against the sex education. How do we help them to accept it? Do we need to help them to accept it? How do we enforce these things? I don't... Yeah, and I'm asking this just more from a broader sense, just because the population within Canada will shift towards more immigrants, become more multicultural, but that's just a trend that we can't fight. So as more cultures get integrated into Canada, are we at risk at losing certain fundamental values? Mm. I think we just keep up the pressure with the elected officials. Like when the next election comes, if, if Rob Ford repeals the, if Doug, Doug Ford Doug repeals Ford. the uh, sex ed curriculum, then the next time we have an election, we put pressure on the, the remaining, the other parties that are running to put it back in. Right? Like that's, Ultimately, our elections are the only thing that we have to sway what kind of, you know, policies that we have to, that we expect from our government. As we get more immigrants, though, do our values change? Do we adapt with the influx of immigrants? Or do we try and hold on to those original values? I I do think that they they necessarily do change uh, with, with bringing, I mean, anytime that you're just diluting you know, uh, what used to be just, you know, a group that was in solidarity in some ways. But I think the question here is, you know, if it, we know it will change over time. Okay. But directionally, are we at risk of that changing in terms of rolling back the progressive values that we have? Progressive values. Okay, yeah. I, so I think if you, if you frame it that we have progressive values and there's anti-progressive values coming in, you know, then I can definitely uh, see a problem there. But I think just in terms of immigration in general, uh, it's it's not 
necessarily a bad thing because I, I don't I don't back to patriotism. I don't really prescribe to the idea that our values are good because they're our values. I think that it should always be a negotiation within the society and that anyone who becomes a member of the society should be fair fair play to have a say in that negotiation. Um, so I guess I guess moving a little bit away from patriotism in, in terms of you know assuming that we have good values in our in our society and there's bad values coming in in general how do we defend those good values i think the key here is the children <laughs> basically the children <laughs> think of the children no 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 the children of immigrants will be influenced by their environment mm-hmm. and yes immigrants coming in from another country might have a different set of values but over time their children are i think likely to adopt probably the more progressive stance within Canada. So that that's my hypothesis. Well, there's ways to be more or less efficient at achieving that. I mean, uh, obviously, you know, the rate at which you, you allow immigrants, the way the strategies you take to integrate them, you know, do you allow ghettos to form uh, with specific subcultures that really have no pressure to integrate? Uh, you know, there's definitely right and wrong ways to achieve that. And I think that's just where it's, it's important that people making decisions on policies in this regard, uh, you know, are taking integration into consideration and not just blinded by humanitarian, you know, panic. Because that, I don't think that would be good for the world at large. I think something is lost by doing it poorly. And, and if, it, if you have to go slower to make sure that you do it in a way that keeps global civilization progressive then then you have to go slower and, and take the right step okay so i think we should wrap up yeah so so we do have some upcoming events on july 29th we have the pride parade very exciting i'm getting married and mm-hmm. uh it will be on the humanist float and it's happening and it's great and we're all excited so come on out to that <laughs> The parade starts at 12.30. You'll want to be there earlier. Uh, we will probably be there around 11.30 setting up. So come on out. Help us set up. We'll, we'll enjoy having extra hands to help me from delving into to, uh, anxiety. <laughs> On August 26th, we have our next board game night. It will be at the Poacher's Arms Pub starting at 7.30. Uh, you don't have to bring any games. They have lots of games there. And uh, they sell drinks and food if you would like to get any of that. So that's always a good time. And then the next meeting is September 12th. There is no August meeting, so please don't come in August. Come back on September 12th. Thank you very much for joining us today and discussing patriotism. So thank you. And we will check you guys next time. You were not there, Will. Somebody brought up interplanetary oh, patriotism. They sure did. Wasn't that interesting? <laughs> that didn't see that coming. Yeah. <laughs> I also did not see that coming. I think it's relevant. <laughs> I, I definitely would have brought that exactly. up. Exactly. Like, what That's happens funny. when we have Mar- people on Mars? Yeah, when we have our first birth certificate with Planet of Birth on it, right? There's a really great sci fi show. That's on right now called The Expanse. This is the third time I've heard about this show this week. It's so good. But there, it's no longer.
you don't hear about the countries, but you hear about, you know, the, pe- the people on the earth, the Martians, and the Belters. Mm-hmm. And those are kind of the new, like, factions that have come out. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure they're still on earth. Right. Those different sure. You think things. our problems are complicated now in nations. <laughs> now if you add planets. Right? <laughs> yeah. Um, I'll have to check that out. Oh, it's so good. But I, I definitely think that things would change once we're multiplanetary. I think it would, too. I mean, once there's competition, like, you'd, you'd have to be multiplanetary to the point where there's, like, interplanetary competition. Rather than Earth just trying to fill up Mars to save humanity, right? It'd be like, we have a colony on Mars, and they, you know, they can, they have resources there that... Or they need resources. Right. So, that you know, you have another sort of resource war, and then you would have, I think, probably more solidarity among Earthlings than so. Martians, or, you know... I, I don't yeah. think we could ever set aside our differences that well to have that. If was, I think if there was a global threat, I think it could happen, and I think it would dissolve in you know the moment I we either so you know yeah. be right back to our old uh, once the fear was gone. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but I mean, slowly a lot of these artificial borders that have been set up are starting to come blur. Right? I mean, when you look at Europe now, there there's a yeah. common currency yeah. that you can cross borders relatively easily. Brexit. Uh, yeah, there's Brexit. <laughs> that kind of complicates things, but but this it's not always like, pretty. <laughs> yeah, I feel like the natural trend is we're starting to move towards because we're moving towards a globalized uh, we nature, uh, economy. Things yeah. are starting to become blurred. I, I would say we were in that direction until Brexit and Trump occurred. Yeah, but I mean, recently there was quite a bit of protests from in Europe. Yeah, I right? think it's yeah. Still I think we're still in that direction. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely being there's pushback on it, mm-hmm. and. It could push back more, right? Like, I mean, I, I don't think that uh, progress is inevitable. Like, I think that those of us who uh, appreciate, you know, uh, the human humanity's benefits from moving to a more globalized everything, uh, you know, those of us who recognize the benefits that that has brought humanity will continue to try and push for that, and there will be those who. Are pushing against it, and that, I think that's probably the new, uh, you know, bigger battleground that I think that we're will be addressing. Yeah. And uh, nations that do accept this tend to do well. Like when you look at all the developing countries, yeah. the countries that have the highest GDP uh, tend to be countries that have a little more of an open border policy where you're trying to bring in the best. But yeah. apparently now. You know, um, the, certain countries are starting to shut down their borders. Yeah. But if you look at the historical trend, we're kind of moving towards that direction. There's resistance uh, to moving toward that, towards that direction. But I would assume probably in the long term, borders are going to start blurring together. I think the problem is just the speed with which we're doing it, right? Like it's, it's happening at a, at a rate where people who aren't comfortable with it are... Not like not only uncomfortable with the idea in general, they're doubly uh, upset about it by the speed with which it's happening, right? And so, I mean, there's like they are scared. Like, I mean, they're you know they are pushing back, and it's a, it's a you know like a perfectly human reaction, you know, to to you know kind of lash out against the thing that even if it's not a you know even if it's not morally good to you know to to hold back progress, but it's still kind of what's happening. Is it is there? 
they see a, a change happening that they don't like, and it's happening at a speed which they don't think they can stop it. And, yeah, people and, don't like change, and people don't like uh, not contributing to that right. change, or, oh, see, or seeing where their part is in that change. And it's probably also some in-group, out-group stuff there as well, is that this, you know, another group is coming in and taking my resources, right, that are, that are, that are mine. And we, I think, you know, psychologically, I think that humans are, you know, do push back on where they do see outgroups as in competition with each other rather than, you know, rather than all of us sharing the resources that are, you know, within our country, you know, other people are coming in and taking our resources, right? So when you look at it from their point of view, you can understand their reaction to it, right? The problem is their point of view. The problem is that they've, you know, there is enough to go around. Like with, you know, there's, you don't have to be afraid that someone is stealing your resources. You will be okay. Well, not only is there enough to go around, but there will be more to go around the more that we share. Just right. similar to the case point. There's a great video uh, on this. It's called Egoistic Altruism. Uh, and, and who's it? I always call it Kierkegaard, but it's... Kotz Kazakh. Wow. Right, this is fancy. That, uh, <laughs> it's it's a YouTube channel that, that does a lot of, of really informative videos with great artwork and everything, but animation. But effectively, it, it just it describes how uh, in, in a we're not in a zero sum world anymore, where um, where me taking me gaining in resources means that I necessarily uh, took resources from my neighbor. Uh, you know, now we're in a world where uh, where innovation uh, is a good thing and it, and it creates plenty in a way that multiplies the amount of resources that we have. So the more ideas that we have and, uh, you know, the more, well, I, I guess I, I, I'm not going to do as good a job explaining this concept as a video would, so I recommend going and watching it if you're interested in the topic. But we, We'll link it in the show notes. Yes. <laughs> yeah, but, but we definitely don't have to, have to feel like we're losing our resources to our neighbors anymore. That's, their benefit is our benefit. I agree. <laughs>